people tend to overinvest in their careers and underinvest in their relationships. Hey, friend, it's David Novinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Norman Tran. Uh, Norman is the co-founder of a company called The Space Between, which runs a cohort-based course called Relating Between the Lines, which is how I got to learn about Norman's work through Maven's Course Accelerator in the summer of 2021, and why I was so interested in furthering the conversation with Norman and sharing his wisdom for you. In this conversation, you'll learn about how people underinvest into relationships and overinvest into work, um, how to flip that and why it's important, how to improve one-on-one meetings, how Norman found his purpose, and so much more. So if you're interested in improving relationships, improving your communication, this episode is for you. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCurvePodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and front source job opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Norman. Norman, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm so excited to be here. 2020, I actually had to, um, as part of a new role, I was... um, had to create a uh, go through a self-assessment to better understand my, you know, more about myself and working style uh, potentially with, with somebody I might be working with and was curious if like, if you like self-assessments and uh, you know, the value of them, you know, I think when I got this, when I was a little uncomfortable around it, I was curious if like, you kind of like that kind of stuff. I think for me, I am a huge nerd for trying to understand myself more um sometimes to a detriment (laughs) kind of like to the extreme of like what what kind of uh blind spots am i not aware of you know just going too far into that um, rabbit hole but for me there are certain ones that i think are particularly useful um strengths finder is a really good baseline i had a strengths coach in college and that really was life-changing because it gave me language to describe things I apparently were, was good at, but had no idea was even a thing. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit more? What So yeah. what kind of new language did you, mm. and do you still utilize some of that language now? Mm. So StrengthsFinder picks out like your top five strengths uh, amongst like a bank of 30 something. And one of the strengths that was pointed out to me is something called input and input is basically you're basically a hoarder <laughs> of, of information and at that point of my early career i was like i've i feel so seen like how what how did you pick this out like i do collect things on pinterest i have pdfs of every topic imaginable that's a strength. I thought I was just like a little like nutty <laughs> for doing this. And so it was validating in that sense to see this as a strength. And then something else that was really profound is your strengths have categories and the categories fall into like relational strengths, communication, thinking, execution. I think I like the four buckets. And for me, I happen to have, um, I think four clustered in strategic thinking or something 
and one in communication. And my coach said, that's very unusual. Most people are spread out among multiple categories. And so what this assessment did for me was it planted a seed to continue finding out, like, what does this mean? What, what makes me unique and how can I fully understand and make the most of it? And so that planted the seed that fully blossomed in the last two years when I got my assessments for ADHD and giftedness. And it finally like helped me explain like, oh, input is just really like your ADHD. (laughs) And that cluster is really like the specific flavor of giftedness that I have around like the thinking type. And so it gave me like preliminary language. And then later I got to get more like scientific proof of what these things were and how to use them. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about language with relationships and and really, it seems like there's, that's probably is a key piece or important part of of your work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so do you take, you take self-assessments kind of often or (laughs) I think over time I've tried a lot of them. Some are more, uh, scientifically valid than others. I've explored MBTI, I've explored Enneagram, I've explored some of the more like even woo-woo ones like human design. Um, and for me, I've always had the mindset of picking and choosing what you like, right? Finding what's useful and then like leaving the rest. So even in the more like woo-woo and like esoteric type assessments or something interesting that it reveals about me that I can start asking myself as questions. So I wouldn't say I'm like doing assessments all the time, but when I find an assessment, I usually will take it. I usually am drawn towards like, Ooh, I want to learn something new about myself. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I, um, me and a friend, we actually started drafting uh, our own uh, obituaries um, and we thought it was a very powerful exercise to a better get to know ourselves and better get to know kind of each other. And was curious of like, do you think about these kind of things? And, and do you think, um, ha- has any stuff like this been kind of meaningful in, 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 in your work or do you, do you kind of think about, I don't know, mortality? So actually mortality led me to discovering my purpose very early. So shortly after I became a product designer in in tech, I got extremely ill. I had an autoimmune condition called Graves' disease. And so I lost 15 pounds in a month. Um, I was too frail to even open a water bottle. At the time, I didn't know what it was. WebMD is like, you're going to (laughs) die. So I freaked out and had, of course, a very early quarter-life crisis. And thankfully, the condition fully recovered and I'm healthy now. But that health scare had me asking questions that I had not asked before. So questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? If I left now, what would I regret? And so these questions I could not answer very easily. And so that prompted a lot of exploration, a lot of questioning my own status quo. 
right? Because up until that point, I was like, I'm going to be a designer, I'm going to be a founder, and that's my path. Like, this is my, my, my roadmap for happiness. And during that phase, I questioned all these things, and I discovered that they no longer held true. They weren't the things I actually wanted. They had hints of things I wanted, but they weren't the true north. And so because of this exploration, I was able to find a book that was also about someone's mortality process um, in recovering from cancer. And this person was a teacher. And somehow in reading this book, I was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I want to be a teacher. And the book is called The Priority List. So this high school English teacher is just incredible at teaching and impacts deeply his students' lives. And as he is not sure if he's going to make it, he goes around asking his students, like, what's important to them? And somehow in that process, he, like, fully recovers, <laughs> which is a miracle. But what I took from that was, like, oh, this is the type of impact I've been wanting to have. And so the silver lining of that whole process is that it, in some ways, shortcutted that discovery process that usually takes people decades or even their entire life to find. Yeah. So found the purpose and is around teaching and around helping people. So, so talk to us a little bit more about, about the purpose and, and how that is uh, kind of manifesting these days. Yeah. So because I had gone through the training to be a designer, I had that mindset of how could I use design thinking, not just for software. And it became apparent that you could use design as a way or a process in creating learning experiences that help people. And for me, growing up as a creative and very naughty, mischievous child um, who's also queer, it's like I just could not fit into boxes that people kept trying to put me in. And it was also hard for me to obviously make friends. And so this feeling of not being understood, this difficulty in connecting with others became a pain that I wanted to solve for myself and others. And so I happened to take some workshops about relationships and emotions that really changed my life. And I was like, whoa, what if I could design something too like this and help other people? And so my purpose really became interrupting generational patterns um, so that we can communicate better, so we can be more joyful together, to make the most out of the time we have together. And I think how that manifests today is I co-founded a program with my dear co-founder, Stephanie Tran, and we teach a eight-week program that teaches people skills, how to communicate better. But I really think of relating between the lines as beyond a class and more of a production. It's more of like an experience. It's more like Disneyland meets like a super TED talk. <laughs> uh, and so we have found a way to not just bring in that like depth right like oh we want to change people's lives we want to help people but it's also like bringing in the joy and the playful and the artistic so that it feels like 
you're having fun along the process instead of reading a textbook. Yeah. And I, I want to dive into it more. Um, I love this one quote that you have, which is, I think it's smart people invest in their careers. Wise people invest in their relationships. Tell us more about that quote. Yeah, that's uh, inspired by uh, Wes Kao, who taught me in the Maven course of the Slater how to write spiky points of view, like provocative uh, statements that help draw people into your worldview. And my worldview there is basically like people tend to overinvest in their careers and underinvest in their relationships, right? It's so tangible to find advice and trainings on productivity, on investing, on how to interview better, but rarely do we think about, do I have a mentor for my relationships? Do I know how to ask for and give feedback well so that I can show up not more productive, but as a better person? I think that stuff is still, I think, underexplored. And so that's why I think like the wisdom to look away from what's commonly searched for, which is like productivity and business, and to actually invest in your communication and relationships takes a whole lot of humility and curiosity. Humility? Mm-hmm. How so? The, the reason why I say humility is because the premise of even exploring your communication and your relationships, you have to be okay with knowing that maybe some of the ways you're doing those things are actually suboptimal. And as a culture, I don't think that's as widely shared, right? Like people are more like comfortable saying, you know, I don't feel really productive right now. I've been really busy, but I'm trying to like make more space for uh, and prioritizing and delegating. That kind of language is quite common, but you don't hear things like, well, I'm not setting boundaries really well right now. And I think I might be in, too indirect when I'm sharing feedback. People don't say that as openly. And so the humility to accept that maybe those things may need some work and attention is more, I think, stigmatized. There's like a mental health stigma attached to those things. And so investing into, so it sounds like you said, investing, people are under-investing into the communication. Uh, what, are, what are some ways that uh, people could, you know, further invest into the, relation, uh, into the communication? Mm. So in relating between lines, we divide our content into like two halves listening and expressing i think within listening a lot of people think they're good listeners but they're not really good listeners how skillful can we be in capturing the essence of what people are sharing and reflect that back to them for the sole purpose of making them feel understood not to have an agenda and steer the conversation how Able are we to ask questions that come from a place of connection rather than I'm just treading water in this conversation, I'm just trying to ask things to keep it going, which is very common. 
or like in the expressing part, how am I able to set boundaries so that I can continue connecting with other people from a place of spaciousness and intentionality? How can I share aspects of myself that let people into my world that doesn't feel like oversharing or undersharing? So these are different, like almost like micro skills within the realm of communication that I don't think people are necessarily trying to like get better at because they think, oh, I'm good enough at this. And when you look under the rock, there's a whole universe to explore. Is there a certain way or like approach to asking better questions or is it, is it saying why or what or how, or are there certain types of questions that people could, you know, consider asking more uh, compared to other ones? Mm. So there's lots of different guidelines, I think, around questions. So for example, in terms of what to avoid, leading questions are something to steer away from because it usually means you have a statement that you're hiding in there. For example, isn't this a good show? <laughs> Has revealed an opinion, right? It's not even a question. Um, so that's something to avoid. Something I learned from my teacher, Joe Hudson, um, is the power of asking what and how questions. Not so much that what and how questions are magical, but they force you to enter a mindset of wonder and curiosity. What would that look like? How does that work? Those kinds of questions open up the conversation and feel a lot more like you're co-discovering something rather than like you're trying to interrogate or extract information. And the last tidbit I'd share is asking questions with intention. So asking yourself, why are you asking this question? So curiosity, uh, which is something I've learned to be more skeptical about from my teacher, uh, David Bradford, from the touchy-feely class at Stanford, there's usually something underneath curiosity. It's not just, I'm curious. Why are you curious? Are you curious because you want to connect with this person? Right? I'm asking this question because I see a part of myself in that and I want to know more. Or I'm asking this question because I'm struggling with that and I could definitely learn from you on how to deal with that. Or I'm asking this because I don't know anything about that. And it's vulnerable to share that, but I think it's important for me to know. So there's usually something more underneath curiosity that's so much juicier. And if you could bring that into the conversation, it feels a lot more connecting. We, we usually, in conversations, ask questions with not a lot of intention. And so it can feel like you're extracting information from someone instead of giving something, mm. giving them a chance to connect with you is like kind of like the holy grail of what a question can do, in my opinion. Wow. So, so, so that's a, so more what and how. So, so you said that you want a question that invites connection. Is that right? Yeah. And it's more important where you're coming from when you're asking the question than what question you're asking. So that's like the 
the difficult to explain thing, right? It's kind of like, it's not, it's not like, give me a list of questions I can ask that'll make people fall in love with me. Like the New York Times article like says, right? It's more like, why are you asking these questions? Are you in a place to ask these questions from wanting connection? Or are you just asking these questions, trying to pass time, trying to continue the conversation, et cetera? How do you see these these kind of um, this kind of thinking? Uh, how do you see the difference between social and uh, or personal and professional? Like, do you think we can apply some of these same types of approaches to people and their managers, so to speak? Or oh yeah, this is I think that she code <laughs> for having a much more enjoyable professional relationship with people in your workplace, right? For example, in in one-on-ones, a manager who's asking you questions, not because he or she has to check off the, I did the one-on-one today, but actually is making sure that they're first and asking questions from a place of curiosity and care, right? That alone will shift something in the dynamic, let's say. And then if they're asking these what and how questions, they're inviting collaborative problem solving if, let's say, the direct report feels blocked or feels like they're not making progress or feels less connected to one or more people on the team. The what and how is kind of like the how might we type questions from design thinking. It invites exploration without it feeling defensive, which why questions can often feel. Why is this important to you? Why now? Why does this matter? Versus what about the situation is not working for you? Or what would it look like if your needs were met? How could we explore that? Right? Like that that, that line of questioning just makes you feel like they're on your team and you want to like work on it together. So it's extremely applicable in both personal and professional relationships. Um, is there anything else on um, about underinvesting into relationships that you wanted to touch upon? So another either category or um, something that, you know, you think more people could consider? I think a big one, uh, it's like a meta principle that drives all the other principles in our program is asking over assuming. So one of the ways that we underinvest in our relationships is we don't apply the same rigor that we apply in fact-checking to our relationships. So the, the associations, the stories, the thoughts we have about why things happen we treat them as truth. Oh, they're late and so they don't care about me. That's a hypothesis that was not even tested and is now truth. And now you feel extra resentful or bitter towards this person versus asking, what was that about? What led to this? What does it mean for me when this happens? And what would happen if I shared this with you? What happens if you had space to hear the impact? So like, we're like now applying like the what, how questions, right, to this. But I kind of think of this as like critical thinking applied to your relationships, right? So questioning the stories we tell ourselves about what people mean, why they're doing things is so important. 
so much of what causes disconnection we found is in what's being withheld, what's not being shared. And then we make conclusions and then accept them as truth, which causes a whole lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding. And so the more we can allow ourselves to step into that discomfort of venturing into that unknown and asking, what is this? What do you actually mean when you say you're busy? What do you mean when you actually say the vibes are off? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know what these words mean. And I, I don't have to put words in your mouth. I can ask you instead of assuming. And just from that place, so much more information can be shared, which just helps you update your like mental model of what's going on with each other. So I think like smart people who are like really used to like thinking in frameworks and such applying that same rigor to your relationships is a missed opportunity. It's a golden opportunity. And that's really like what we're trying to do with relating to between lines. It's like, we love that stuff too. We, you know, we're all about doing your best work, but can you do it in a way that prioritizes connection and humanity? Yeah. Um, and so we can apply this in one-on-ones. We can ask, you know, these different kinds of questions. Is there anything else related to this on kind of just deepening relationships or continuing relationships? Um, we talked a little bit about kind of one-on-one conversations, but anything else that you think that's specific more towards kind of friendships and relationships? Mm. So this really great concept, um, comes from the Gottman's, um, it's called BIDS. And in our class, we teach it as a metaphor of like the dark matter in, in the universe, right? It comprises of everything and yet we can't see it. And the dark matter in relationships is what the Gottman's call BIDS. And BIDS are basically any attempt to get someone's attention. They could be as small as eye contact to as um, direct as, hey, would you like to go to the movies? Right. So bids come in sizes small and large. But what is most important is how you respond to bids. So the research from the Gottmans, from forgetting the exact decade they did this, but they watched couples respond to bids. And then over several years, they could then look at how many couples divorced and how many stayed together. And from that research, they found that couples that stayed together responded very differently to bids compared to the ones that divorced. And the ratio is as lopsided as like more than uh, 60% of the time you are responding to people's bids constructively, you'll stay together. And the ones that divorced were like less than 30%. And so there's three ways that you can respond to bids. You can either turn towards, meaning you either reciprocate or at least show attention, right? They make eye contact, you make eye contact, or they make eye contact, you smile. Uh, They ask, hey, what do you want for dinner? You say, I don't know, but let's figure it out together. That's turning towards. Turning away is a shrug or indifference or ignoring it. You're not really responding to the bid. Turning against is where you have problems. This is when you respond with contempt, like 
why would you ask that? Or judgment or criticism or defensiveness. They call these like the four horsemen uh, within relationships. So it's impossible to be in relationship with people, friends, platonic or romantic, and completely only turn towards. Impossible, right? We get busy. We get irritable. That's just how we are as humans. But can we turn towards more often, right? That text your friend sent you, did you respond to it? That article your friend sent you, did you even care to read it? That post your friend put about hanging out with you from four years ago, did you respond to it? Like, these are all bids. They're all opportunities to continue the connection. And when we miss them, intentionally or not, we are losing out on the connection. So the biggest thing that we can learn in like being more intentional about how to sustain relationships is respond to bids. Even if the response is not right now, but maybe later. Maybe the response is, you know, I'm slammed right now. Let me send you a message in two weeks. I just put on my calendar. Let's have a chat. I miss you, right? These are all ways of like turning moments where you're like, I can't be there into opportunities to continue the connection. So the bids concept really has changed my life. And now it's like having an x-ray vision. <laughs> Whenever I'm people watching, I'm like, oh, they just missed that bid. You just see it everywhere. Yeah, it's like an email or a text message. And it's like, you know, I could do the quick little sounds good, or you can use it as a way to, you know, continue the conversation or add on to it or, you know, build momentum. Yeah, I love that. It's basically yes and, right? It's a chance to build off of, build upon. It doesn't always mean like add more, right? Sometimes you match their energy. But I think it's just a tragically missed opportunity when we see all the connection that's happening and treat it as background noise instead of like important garden to tend to. Yeah. On this topic, is there anything else related to relationships that are like things that you think more people should do? I think more people should write user manuals. So something that I learned about around 2015 was the concept of user manuals and they were applied to yourself. Like what if you wrote a a, a tech manual for how to interact with Norman, right? And I thought this was so cool because technology is complex. Humans are complicated. Like it's even harder to figure out like, how to make Norman operate at his best, right? And so being able to get one step ahead of it and share with others so that they can conspire to help you, right? Or know like when he's in a funk, what it looks like and what it means. And so I, in starting Relating Between Lines with Stephanie, both of us basically created user manuals to share with each other and reviewed it. And at each stage, we're like, okay, we can work with that. Or like, we like what we see. Great, let's keep moving forward to work together. It brings a new level of intentionality and care into the relationship. And it doesn't have to be professional, right? It could even be personal. Just knowing what makes this person feel more safe, 
feel more grounded? What does it look like when they are grumpy and stressed, right? And so a fun one for me would be like fragile handle with care because I'm a very sensitive person to smells and all my senses are just like hyper vivid. And so it's easy for me to feel overwhelmed. And in my younger days, I'd be ashamed of that. But now I'm like fragile handle with care, but kicks ass when feeling great. You know, it's like, this is me and you do what you want with it, but I'm just going to tell you in advance. Also, uh, I have an RBF, um, resting bitch face is, is what people would call it. And people get um, scared when I'm thinking because my thinking face is so intense that I've had students in previous programs literally tell me like, are you mad at me? <laughs> do you not like me? And I'm like, oh, no, honey, I'm just thinking. And so now I get ahead of it and like just tell people up front. So it's just kind of this really freeing and bonding experience where you just lay it all out on the table and you look at it and you have conversations about what you want to do with the information you have. And it becomes really powerful, the type of trust that you can have. Love it. Well, so people should create more user manuals, should think more about uh, the communication and investing into their relationships. Um, and if people want to learn uh, more about you and, and the work that you're doing, please let listeners know where they can do that. And if there's anything else that you'd like to, one final send off or anything like that, uh, I would love to hear it. But uh, Norman, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you, David. You can find me on Twitter at Norman underscore trend. And you can find our work at relatingbetweenthelines.com. Um, a final message that I'd like to send off to people is I hope you periodically rediscover the joy of coloring outside the line. Life is more fun beyond the boxes that we think we're supposed to be putting. Love it. Thank you so much, Norman. Thank you, David. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.